Yeah, cold open. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, hello. Welcome to Friend Diagram, the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today we'll be comparing notes on Watchmen and Our Flag Means Death. Warning. Spoilers ahead. All right. Yay. Okay. Yeah. This is our fourth episode? Fifth episode? I think it's our fifth. Yay. Pretty so sure it's our fifth. This is our fifth episode. How was your week? It was good. Um, it was, it's been very, very busy mm-hmm. at work. I've been swamped, but it's felt better to feel like I'm making real progress now. Yeah. Um, since I started this new job back in January of this year, a few months ago, it's been, you know, a whole process trying to get my projects going and I feel like I'm, I'm like slammed because I now have like the opportunity to work on all the things I need to, which is good in some ways, but overwhelming in others. So hitting your stride, hitting my stride, making progress, doing what I can and you know, just dealing with the outside world mm-hmm. as well, and and watching our flag means death. Things. And watching our flag means death. It's been the, oh my god, what what a a light in my life in these dark times. <laughs> I love it when you describe things as pure serotonin because pure serotonin. <laughs> I know it's gonna be good. Mm-hmm. How was your week? My week was good. I guess work's been pretty quiet. Yeah, it's just been really uneventful. I've been working long hours, getting things up and running. I'm also feeling like I'm in a place where things are starting to really ramp up. And so that's been both stressful and very encouraging. But yeah, things have been going well. Cool. Yeah. What's your favorite piece of media this week? So my favorite piece of media this week is called Watchmen. And I kind of missed the boat on this one. It's a film. So this is a originally a graphic novel written by That's Alan Moore, right? Um yes, Alan Moore. Um and Dave Gibbons. It was published between 1986 and 1987, which I didn't realize it was that old. So they made a film adaptation of this graphic novel, or I guess it was a comic book series. It was released over those years, and then they compiled it into one single graphic novel. I see. Okay. But yeah, I missed the boat on this movie completely. And I suppose when it came out in 2009, I was pretty young to be watching this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched it two weeks ago, I think, when I was in Minneapolis with my partner. For the first time? Yeah, for the first time. So Watchmen was directed by Zack Snyder, and I just found that out um, by looking at the IMDb (laughs) page 30 minutes ago. Generally, the plot is following all of these retired superheroes. So it's kind of like adult Incredibles. Um... Is kind of what I was thinking while I was watching it. So okay. the world no longer really has a need 
for these superheroes to be fighting crime. And so they're all kind of retired. There's been two generations of superheroes. So the originals, and then they kind of pass on that trade to a second generation. Um, It's this group of retired superheroes and the movie starts out and you see this older gentleman who you later find out is part of the first generation of these superheroes. His name is, or his superhero name is the comedian. And Mm -hmm. um, he gets killed in the first scene of the movie. And Mm -hmm. everything kind of unspools from that. There's kind of, it's kind of designed more like a detective noir film as opposed to a superhero movie, which I really liked and found really compelling. And you can see the comedian watching the news before he gets killed. And on Mm -hmm. the news, they're kind of talking about this threat of nuclear war, which is really interesting. Um, And over time, you find out that there's another character. His name is Dr. Manhattan. He used to be a scientist, and he, through some freak accident, actually developed powers. So he's kind of the only traditional superhero in the film. Um, And he becomes kind of this all-knowing, omnipotent-type being, and he's working very, very hard on how to prevent this nuclear destruction um, with a man. Um... It's basically the Elon Musk of this world. Um, He owns a huge company. His name is Ozymandias. Um, He's a weird dude, but he's basically like this rich guy who's funding all of this research to prevent nuclear fallout, nuclear destruction of the world. The movie is narrated through the point of view of Rorschach, um, who Mm -hmm. is this man He wears a mask. It's a white mask with uh, black blotches on it that resemble a a Rorschach blot. The movie is kind of narrated through his point of view, and he's trying to solve who killed the comedian. Um, I really, really like how this movie plays with the concept of the anti-hero or who is good and bad. It kind of makes a point to show that everyone is a little bit of both and some are more than others. Some are more distinctly in that bad category. But yeah, so I kind of, I find the characters more compelling than the plot, really. Um, Mm -hmm. So I kind of want to focus in on those for part of the discussion. I don't really know where to start because they're all very, very interesting they're all they're like they're all pseudo superheroes yeah it's like rorschach yeah so rorschach in that category Mm -hmm. rorschach was part of the first generation kind of overlapping into that second generation rorschach is really interesting because at first (laughs) because it's narrated from his point of view he it kind of draws to light his um dark parts of him um In his opening monologue, he says, The city is afraid of me. I have seen its true face. The streets are extended gutters, and the gutters are full of blood, and when the drains finally scab over, all the vermin will drown. 
The accumulated filth of all their sex and murder will foam up about their waists, and all the whores and politicians will look up and shout, save us. And I'll look down and whisper, no. It's very dramatic, one. Mm -hmm. But at the start of a superhero film, I think that really sets the tone. Those are like some of the first words that are uttered. I think Rorschach is genuinely the most compelling character in the film for me because he views the world through such a pessimistic lens, but he is also the most dedicated to finding out the truth in the situation. And he is the driving force of like drawing all of these characters back together and finding out what is really underlying this mystery, right? He's like a very closed off character. And I think it's because he had to deal with realizing that not all humans are humans. Not like some humans are just monsters. There's this really horrifying scene where you kind of realize where Rorschach kind of diverged because he doesn't see himself as his normal name. I can't remember what it is. Um, but he sees himself only as this persona of Rorschach. He doesn't see himself as who he was in real life. And he says that, okay. that that person died when he was investigating a case of this missing girl. And he finds the house that she was in. He waits for the man who is responsible to come back. And the man is like begging for his life and... Rorschach in that moment just realizes that like some humans are just monsters and some humans will just kill an innocent um, for no reason. And before that, he had not really had to deal with that concept. So I think that he's just a really um, interesting character that has obviously shut himself off from his own humanity in a way. um, I see. Because of the monstrosities of the world as kind of a defense mechanism in this scenario. And then does that influence how he like approaches his role as a superhero type person? Hmm. It influences him as a character, but I don't think it influences his actions necessarily. It just kind of prevents him from feeling as much mercy. So yeah, I guess in a way. Yeah, I don't know. Rorschach is just the most interesting character to me. Um, There's also the Silk Spectre, who is Dr. Manhattan's girlfriend. Um, And you get to see their relationship kind of fall apart. And I think it really shows a contrast between Silk Spectre, who um, is just a normal person. You get to... See that contrast with Dr. Manhattan, who obviously is this kind of all-knowing, all-seeing, very intelligent individual. Dr. Manhattan is a truly neutral character. He's doing good things. He's working on how to prevent this nuclear apocalypse, right? But he's kind of seeing past it, and he doesn't really see the meaning of worrying about this one planet when there are other planets with life on them. And um, he he kind of sees past this scenario, this very human fear of extinction. Um, mm-hmm. You really, it, it really makes you think about what 
how becoming this almost godlike character can make you lose your humanity and lose your connection to humanity. And Silk Spectre throughout the movie is his one lifeline to his human emotion and that human side of him still. So their relationship kind of falls apart. She's unsatisfied in the relationship and he has no emotion. Like she leaves and he just goes back to work. Obviously he's melancholy and he still is experiencing that, but there's no, I'm going to run after her and prove to her that she matters. And it's in this time that he becomes extremely vulnerable to the pressures that are being put on him once she leaves and he starts being manipulated by Ozymandias. Ozymandias has this overarching plan to frame a major catastrophe on Dr. Manhattan and unite the world against this one common enemy. And so he... Um, plays on this vulnerability. He makes um, Dr. Manhattan think that he had given his ex-girlfriend cancer from just the proximity to him. Um, It's just this really traumatic experience for him. So he runs away basically to Mars. And when he comes back, there are all of these um, explosions, I guess. Uh, That's the best way to think of it. It mimics his superpower. And through this, the world avoids nuclear war. Um, So without this tie to Silk Spectre, he becomes extremely vulnerable. But yeah, I think that the way that they really played with good and evil in this film is really interesting because obviously Ozymandias is kind of a bad guy like he's framing this perfectly innocent dude who's been putting hours and hours into saving the world but obviously it's a perfect scenario because dr manhattan can see it for the bigger picture and see why it was necessary and why he now has to leave to be this common enemy to protect the silk specter and everyone from extinction i don't really want to get too much into the comedian i found that plot really um unpleasant to watch he's net bad for me do we find out who killed him yes ozymandias did um okay (laughs) ozymandias kills him because he realizes what ozymandias is up to and Mm -hmm. that he's going to frame dr manhattan um the comedian is just like i mean he's obviously got a lot of trauma from He was, like, sent to fight in the Vietnam War and kills a lot of people. He's not just bad for the sake of being bad. Um, The acting of that character is very good and very emotionally evocative. Um, I think he has the least screen time of any of the superheroes that Mm -hmm. we are talking about. But I found him very emotionally evocative in his scenes because you're kind of living through other people's memories of him which I thought was a really interesting flashback mechanic. And then I'm saving this character for last because I'm (laughs) in love with him. Um, So obviously Night Owl is uh, almost as central to the plot as Rorschach. 
because yeah what's what's his deal night owl's deal yeah um in what way i only got really vague notions of that superhero from the miniseries so it oh, was that like makes definitely me so one... sad oh i'm sorry <laughs> i don't want to watch it <laughs> You should watch it. I'm kidding. Um, But if he's not central to the plot, I'm going to be sad. Um, He's definitely not. (laughs) Bad news. He's the best character. Um, I would say that this character is the most net good. He is the most net good, and Silk Spectre is right behind him. She's just a very human character. She has very human desires, and um, so she's as good as your average good person, I would say. And Night Owl is especially good. Um, He is kind of playing the role of best friend who gets ignored romantically until girl breaks up with her (laughs) boyfriend um, and then turns to him, right? So basically Silk Spectre breaks up with Dr. Manhattan and begins a relationship with um night owl who is a very human character very in tune with human desires and wants um night owl's deal i guess is that he's got cool gadgets he drives around a big old hovercraft ship thing and uh it kind of looks like an owl like it's got Mm -hmm. these big submarine like eyes and he like basically is the captain of that and piloted superheroes where the crime was and would get out and fight or fight from the air and stuff like that so he was basically like a cool pilot um back in the day and i would say that his main flaw is inaction. I would say that that's probably his like human most human flaw. Um, Rorschach kind of has to push him to keep investigating and help him with this. And um, obviously, with Silk Spectre, he never really makes his move until she does. And so, I think fear and inaction make him not his best self. Um, but he's a very lovable character. He's played by Patrick Wilson, who I'm also in love with. Um, <laughs> I think my favorite performance by Patrick Wilson is probably Bone Tomahawk. Same. I absolutely love him in that. Um, he's also fantastic as Ed Warren in the Conjuring movies. Um, so I've just seen him in a lot of movies that I think are just fantastic. It was such a pleasant surprise to see him in this movie. I had no idea going in, and I turned to my partner and just went, that's Patrick Wilson. I love him. (laughs) And he was like, all right. Um, He was like, I don't know who that is. And I was like, from Bone Tomahawk. (laughs) He's not good with names. Um, Oh, yeah. And, like, actors. my partner. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I thought this performance was really lovable i really love his responses to his peers um uh i love the scene between him and rorschach um i should have looked this up too night owl 
to a weird part of the internet. Where oh, it just sorry. Says, I thought you were laughing at the siren that won't oh, stop. No, sorry. <laughs> I was laughing at um, Rorschach and Night Owl fan film, and I really want to watch it. <laughs> it's a 10-minute movie. Um, Excellent. Oh, okay. So there's this conversation between Rorschach where Rorschach is um, criticizing Night Owl for saying and and saying, you've forgotten how we do things. You've gotten too soft, too trusting, especially with women. And Night Owl kind of stands up for himself and says, no, I'm through with that. Who do you think you are? You live off of people while insulting them and nobody complains because they think you're a lunatic. Um, and then immediately afterwards, he feels bad for saying oh. that because he kind of uh-huh. lashed out and, um, <laughs> they like kind of pause and just look at each other. And, uh, Rorschach just says, Daniel, who is, which is his real name. Uh, Daniel, you're a good friend. And they shake hands, and I was like, oh, my God, hug. Uh, I loved it. I wanted them to bro out so hard. And it was such a a beautiful interaction. And I think he really does, that to me illustrates that he brings out this, like, really good side of people. Like, he he brings back that humanity in people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just love that character. He's so sweet. Um... But I'm always going to love the the most sweet uh, character the most, I think. I'm here for wholesome vibes only. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just thought this movie was really fantastic. I honestly can't recommend it enough. The movie streaming on Hulu, I just really liked that movie. And it was about 50% um, because it's a really good film and 50% because of um Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson. <laughs> Love that man. Wonderful. Wow. He's just such a normal dude. I love him. <laughs> I just love him. He <laughs> I looks love like how normal he, would... he is. Beautiful. This is wonderful. We have okay. very Oh man. <laughs> this is great. I would love to know if you end up watching the HBO limited series and Hearing your thoughts on My that. list just keeps getting longer. I don't think I'm yeah. going to be able to cancel HBO in a month because now I've got to watch Our Sales Mean Death. Is that Our Flag the, Means our flags, Death. <laughs> our Flags <laughs> Close. Now I've got to watch that and Watchmen and Euphoria and oh, yeah. what else was on my list? So much good stuff for you. I know. I'm not going to be able to cancel it, but that's fine. All right, well, let me tell you what I think you should use it for. Okay. Immediately. Okay. Right after this, hang up the call, immediately start watching this. It's all I want is to talk to someone about this show. Like, I would love for you to watch it because I think, God, I think you'll be into it, especially if you're really feeling the wholesome vibes uh, zone. Any show that is pitched to me as pure serotonin is beautiful because I hate anything that's going to make me feel anxious. Like the reason I've put off watching Euphoria so long is because I 100% know that show is going to make me feel feelings. Yes. Oh, big feelings, big time. Yeah. So no, that's the perfect segue into why our flag means death is my piece of media 
this week. Mm-hmm. It's a, an HBO Max original that just came out a couple months ago. And it is, I mean, we are living in the golden age of television, <laughs> as people say. Mm-hmm. And there, now that we are on the other side of many of the production halts for TV and movies, a lot of series are coming out right now on all mm-hmm. of the streaming platforms, and there's just so many things that you can be watching, and many of them are in my typical wheelhouse. Like, there's shit coming out right now that it's like they, you know, had this checklist of you know, things Remy likes in the series <laughs> and just like mix and mash them all together, like Severance and Outer Range and Under the Banner of Heaven. Like these are all good, awesome shows that are out right now, but I'm going through them very slowly because they're often times very dark and dense mm-hmm. and you can, I can only take so much of that at once, even though it's like my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I was so relieved to find Our Flag Means Death as just this beacon of levity in my life that is so rewatchable. I've already watched it, like, three times already. Oh my god. And it just fucking came out. How many episodes are there? There's ten episodes. They run about 35-ish minutes each, so they're a quick watch. And... This is um, a series about a crew of pirates, and it's a comedy Mm -hmm. series created by David Jenkins, and I wasn't sure what to make of it at first. Um, When I saw the trailer, I knew I wanted to check it out because I saw that Taika Waititi was involved, and I'm a huge fan of his, both as a actor but also as like a screenwriter and particularly as a director was he involved um, in the writing of this or directing he's an executive producer and he directed the pilot okay. i'm not sure if he directed other episodes as well i don't remember offhand but he was involved in the production side and um starred in it as one of the leads and so just his he's one of those people in Hollywood where if his name is attached to a project, it's an immediate yes mm-hmm. for me. Like, I don't need to know the premise or anything else. If his name is involved, um, I'm in. Mm-hmm. So, but interestingly, he doesn't show up in the series until like the very end of the third episode. And mm-hmm. so I had an experience that I often have in series that I love in that there was like a slow start for me mm-hmm. where for the first couple of episodes I was just trying to grasp you know what was going on and what the characters were like and I was like I don't know if this is working for me um but with time and patience and finding out like one small piece of information about what the future of the plot held I was like oh yeah I'm gonna keep watching this because I want to see this come to fruition. Mm -hmm. And basically, the piece of information that is a spoiler, but the best kind of spoiler because it makes you want to watch, Mm -hmm. is that it's a love story. This whole fucking series is a love story. I love a love story. Oh my god. Cat, this is 
the best romance of the year. <laughs> so fucking delightful I can't and good. Wait to come back around to oh, this when we do our my God. like top five uh, chemistry episode. Yes. I'm oh my really God. Excited about that. It's the 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 top of my list. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay, so ah. let me give you the the breakdown of. Okay. The context. So basically, the premise is that you're following this main um, pirate captain, uh, Steed Bonnet is his name, and he goes by the moniker The Gentleman Pirate, and he's played by Reese Darby, and his deal is that he was this, like, wealthy landowner, like, landed gentry in Barbados in like 1717 the golden age of piracy (laughs) and he decided to uh, leave his life of you know luxury Mm -hmm. in order to become uh, a pirate captain and you're following him and his crew throughout the series and it's really interesting in that his approach to being a pirate captain is sort of what really makes him stand out because he not is he's not only coming from a, a place of complete inexperience in all things piracy <laughs> and violence and seamanship and whatever else you need to know to be a successful pirate, but he is also coming to it with um uh, uh, a people positive management style <laughs> and a growth mindset. <laughs> We're a solutions so he's, team. he's basically the Ted Lasso of the seas, oh, where man. it's like a complete fish out of water. Um, this it's like a fish out of water story where this man is in charge of these people and he probably shouldn't be because <laughs> he doesn't have the right experience, but he's just so damn positive. That you can't help but rooting for him. Is his crew pirates? Like, are they real pirates? Do they know what yes. they're doing? They are real pirates in that 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 is their profession. Mm-hmm. So you don't find out how they became his crew, but you do find out that he he pays them a salary, mm-hmm. um, which was on not a not a thing. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, for other pirate crews. sold in the first, like, five minutes of this. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, you, you, the first few episodes is you seeing him just be truly not cut out for piracy and leadership and you, the... Within the first episode, the crew wants to mutiny because he is just so bad at what he's doing. <laughs> and over the course of the season, though, you you see this um, this appreciation grow for him as a leader, both in terms of how he grows as a pirate captain, but also in how each of the crew members grow to appreciate a people-positive management style. <laughs> God, it's just so good. And I should say, there are so many likable characters. The The crew is great. The cast is excellent. And you you quickly grow attached to each of 
each of these characters in the crew as you learn more about them and see them interact more and see how they approach this challenge of having like an incompetent leader for their crew. And so one of the main things that the the show focuses on is Steed's motivation for turning to a life of piracy because mm-hmm. it doesn't make a lot of sense why mm-hmm. someone who has it so good would choose this life, especially when they're so ill-suited for it. And you find out that he was really unhappy in his home life. He was part of a, um, like an arranged marriage, basically, Uh. with his wife Mary, and they had two children, and he and his wife were both unhappy, and he just didn't feel like he fit as a part of his family or community you see a lot of flashbacks to him in childhood where he was, you know, bullied for not fitting traditional standards of masculinity, and you can see throughout his life from what we observe that he's never really fit in and found a place and Mm -hmm. felt like he was filling the role that society expected him to, Mm -hmm. to fill. And in abandoning that life, he is choosing um, this, like, adventurous lifestyle of freedom on the open sea. And that's what he's seeking, even though it's a challenge for him to, to fit in that role as well. Um, but it's, his goal is basically to break free from that, that burden of social expectation and social constraint, mm-hmm. whether that's, like, marriage or... Uh, gender norms or masculinity like he just felt so unbearably trapped that he went to these extreme lengths to escape that and I think that's a fascinating motivation that lots of people can relate to feeling trapped in the expectations from any role that they're playing yeah and so as the series progresses he grows in a lot of different ways like he experiences trauma related to violence and kind of has to work through that but he also just really wants to be a better captain and be better at piracy and have his crew like want to he wants his crew to support him he doesn't want to to be mutinied and no one wants to be mutinied <laughs> no one wants that and fortunately um he meets up with or is um intercepted by blackbeard and his crew and in you know history and in the the realm of the show blackbeard is the most feared pirate he mm-hmm. is the the best pirate the scariest pirate the most successful pirate mm-hmm. he is m- m- like a legend just like People tell, like, mythical stories about, you know, basically he was just, like, the most feared and revered pirate at the same time. And he, in the show, Blackbeard is played by Taika Waititi, and he sort of teams up with Steve Bonnet to show him the ways of piracy 
and help him be more successful in his goals and, you know, leading his crew, he tells them all these lessons that Steed just has no idea about. And in turn, Steed teaches Blackbeard more things about, about high society, I suppose, because you find out in, like, through Blackbeard's story that he's become like, he also feels very trapped in his role of having to be this legendary pirate captain who just carries out extreme violence and always is successful, and he's become bored and trapped and sort of despairing in that role that has been cast for him. And so when he encounters Steed Bonnet, he becomes fascinated by Steed's unabashed love for luxury and luxury items and fine fabrics and outfits mm-hmm. and just like high society fare. Mm-hmm. And so they have like an exchange of information where they're both learning about these these lifestyles that they have no experience with and they're both just so eager to learn from one another about these things and they just have a really earnest and non-ego-driven interest in learning more and expanding this their sense of self because they have a genuine interest in these new ideas and topics mm-hmm. and I just love that um <laughs> That attitude of like leaving your ego and leaving your preconceived notions of masculinity and learning about, you know, summer linens. It's just, (laughs) (laughs) it's just so pleasing and fantastic. And through, through this exchange of information, you see them bonding and, um, the original plan that Steed doesn't know about is that Blackbeard, um, also known as Ed or Edward, Edward Teach, born on a beach, he, um, his original plan when he first meets Steed is to sort of do the scheme where he murders Steed and changes his identity so that Blackbeard becomes Steed and everyone thinks Blackbeard is dead and that will free him from that, from that role. Um, so he, Mm -hmm. his original plan is to like take over Steed's crew and leave the identity of Blackbeard behind because it's become so restrictive, but it's a love story. (laughs) So, (laughs) so that doesn't doesn't end up happening. (laughs) No. And God, the best thing about the fact that this is a love story between Blackbeard and Steed Bonnet is that it's very, it's like such a small number of episodes that they're both in, but the progression of their relationship is paced perfectly mm-hmm. for my tastes in that it is very subtle for a very long time. And it's just like when, like, a lingering glance is your only indication, but you just feel in your heart that it's right. Mm -hmm. It's so satisfying. Like, there's so many 
they're just like a simple exchange of words is the only indication you have in many scenes but they are my favorite scenes they're mm-hmm. my favorite scenes there's one scene i think yeah it's at the end of episode four i think episodes four and five are my favorite and steed and ed have an exchange where steve shows ed how to wear a pocket square and he tells him that he wears fine things well and it's my favorite part of the entire series it's the it's the peak of romance it's beautiful (laughs) and i love it and it's good too because it's it's the classic will they won't they trope in that the subtlety is so slow burn that Mm -hmm. you really don't know if they will but um because this is like a gay relationship a lot of people were worried that it would just be like queer baiting in that it would seem as though these two male characters might have romantic feelings but in the end like that's not the direction things would go Mm -hmm. in and so from what i understand um the show has been very very much embraced by the lgbtq plus community because Mm -hmm. it is not that because it is a love story and it's more than one love story there's several there's more than one will they won't they relationship which is great the more the merrier like i'll take them all (laughs) and but then there's like also just open relationships that are just you know normal and um i think people are just really pleased with that representation in that yeah it's just it's about the love yeah (laughs) it's so good and it's about just the just mutual admiration and mutual learning and god it just the growth that these people go through is just so satisfying and it's so wholesome and it's so fun to watch yeah yeah i mean it's really rare for a queer relationship to be at the forefront of any type of film series Mm -hmm. um and i i have also heard that the lgbtq plus community is very excited about the series and i think that Mm -hmm. representation is so important and i think that that's really coming to fruition like i think people are really Mm -hmm. starting to prioritize that and i think that the positive reception of this series will really continue to push Mm -hmm. that forward yeah and what i really like about it is it just seems so natural like yes it's and that's what it should be seamless yeah yeah that's i what know it that's be, why it's, because it's it's yeah oh yeah exactly you know what i mean um and there are there's a lot of content you can watch on youtube about um people from that community explaining why they think the show is a great representation and one specific um youtuber of note i want to point out rowan ellis she had a really great video essay on lgbtq plus representation in our flag means death so um do check out her video about this if you want to hear more she has very comprehensive thoughts about it and i highly recommend it um but yeah it's like 
I don't know, all the characters. I love them so much. I love mm-hmm. Steed and Blackbeard and Steve and Ed. <laughs> uh, it's so good. But um, yeah, it's just so pure. Like when people actually value learning things from one another without coming from a place of judgment. Like mm-hmm. that's such a good feeling. And people loving each other for who they really are and like celebrating their differences in a genuine way Mm -hmm. it's like the peak of wholesomeness and something that's really interesting is that this is like taking place circa 1717 but like there's a lot of anachronistic language and music and um wardrobe Mm -hmm. in the show meaning like you know you're not watching a, a historical fiction. A his- yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like Steed Bonnet and Blackbeard both existed and they did hang out in reality and they did co-captain a crew. But you, the show is not making an effort to make it, you know, super hyper real. Based on, like, you yeah. know, you know, you're looking at a ship on a soundstage and I, actually like that aspect of it because when you're presented with these themes in a more modern way even though it's depicting old times you you can more easily grasp that this is like a these are universal themes that are Mm -hmm. relevant now they're not specific to pirates in the in the (laughs) In the 1700s, you know what I mean? So I don't know if some people might not like that, but I think it completely serves like the purpose of the show in that these are contemporary and relevant ideas. There's almost this like suspension of disbelief that I have to overcome, (laughs) even though it is based on history and trying to be accurate to a historical setting. Um I find that certain things will take me out of it. Like when you're watching a medieval film or a film set in medieval times and there's not a speck of dirt on these people. And like, I immediately Mm -hmm. am taken out of the realm of the film um, because it's trying, it's trying too hard and also not trying hard enough at the same time. Mm -hmm. Whereas something like um, even Hamilton, like, is such like a modern take on a historical mm-hmm. setting, a historical story that it's very easy for me to watch. And because I'm already suspending my disbelief for certain mm-hmm. aspects, like rap music <laughs> um, sure. in the 1800s, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, like I'm already suspending my disbelief. So it's not, there's not so much further to go because I know that it's Mm -hmm. like supposed to just be a loose setting you know yeah yeah it's funny you bring that up um because when I was thinking about how to describe the amount of suspension of disbelief sort of required it is almost exactly like watching a stage play Mm -hmm. in that you're centering on these people it's this is character driven and the the plot and the spatial relationship Mm -hmm. of geography is melded to fit what's happening with the characters so like you know you 
you can't row a boat to any of the places they're going, mm-hmm. but people do it all the time. Like it's completely serving of, of the, the interpersonal interactions and yeah. that doesn't bother me, but it might bother some people, but I, as long as it's serving the love story, I'm fine <laughs> with it. <laughs> um, but there are other than the, um, the two leads that I mentioned already, there are some other, I mean, the whole cast is wonderful and the crew has just a lot of wonderful ensemble comedy, Mm -hmm. which is a delight Mm -hmm. and very wholesome in and of itself. There are two standouts in the crew that I did want to mention. Samson Kayo, he plays Oluwande, and I was extremely excited to see him in the pilot because um, I recognized him as the actor that played Elton John from Truth Seekers, which is a series that both you and I oh, yeah. have enjoyed. Oh, so I completely he's, forgot about that He's series. a wonderful member of the crew, and uh, he's also part of a Will They, Won't They romance storyline. I so it. Yes. He's great. Makes you want to be a pirate. Let's all just be pirates. Yes. Oh, Let's quit God. our jobs yes, and be pirates. <laughs> Please, I would love to cast off the expectations of society. <laughs> um, and also another standout performance um, was Joel Fry. He was my favorite comedic performance of the entire series. He played the character Frenchie. And I just thought his delivery of every line he had was superb and just fucking hilarious. I loved his comedic performance. I thought he was wonderful. Um, so yeah, it's great. I mean, the music is really fun. There's a great uh, piece that I read on tour.com. It's called Let's Rank All the Needle Drops in Our Flag Means Death. It's by <laughs> Leah Schnellbach. And this Leah, this Leah person who wrote this article, somehow has the same mind as me because her take on ranking the best needle drops was just, like, spot on. Like, she read my diary, and she gets me. And so you should read that if you're interested in the music choices in the show. God, it's so good. (laughs) Another reason why I love this show is, like... Obviously, I love the characters. I love all of their growth. I love learning about their backstories and why they are the way they are and why that um, those past traumas, how that influences how they are approaching the problems in their life and how that changes when they meet new people that help them to grow as people. But I also, on a more shallow note, have to point out that Taika Waititi as Blackbeard is just like the peak of human sex appeal. It's like <laughs> we've peaked. We found it. It's him. All right. Yeah. I gotta like, Google some pics now. You have to. You have to. I'm the super hair, excited. The beard, the outfit, the, the tattoos, beard. the attitude, just the um, accent, the whole thing. It, it's. I want to, here's my desire, is that we take a page out of um, 
out of Chris Ryan and and Andy Greenwald's notebook over at the watch and I think we should have a belt in that over at the watch they have you know the belt that they talk about for when a series is just like the most popular and the buzziest and it's the series that's winning at that time it's like the world champion series I think we should have a belt for sex appeal and (laughs) you both and I can both of us can have our each respective belt because everyone can get a belt okay that's good everyone has a belt (laughs) everyone has a belt to give out everyone has a belt blackbeard has my belt right now blackbeard holds the belt hands down he might keep it forever. Who knows? Man, I was not Patrick expecting Wilson the can beard. have your belt. It's fucking amazing. Oh, I love you. This gotta watch the show. Of the beard. I'm so here for it. There's like Dude. this picture where he's like, and I'm like, yeah. touch me, touch my face like that. You have to watch it. I'm so or I'll excited. be so upset. Oh my god. I think I might actually start it. right after this. I would love it if you did. Oh my god. Because, and then you can come back and listen to this conversation, and you can tell me if you agree with some of my top five, top four favorite moments, which is really just my favorite pieces of dialogue. Let me run them down for you, just because, just for posterity, I want to get it out there. If you've seen this series, tell me if these are also your favorite parts. I love it when <laughs> I just love the part where he says Edward Teach born on a beach. <laughs> I think that in my brain upwards of 20 to 30 times a day. <laughs> I say I say it out loud to myself several times a day. <laughs> I'll never stop thinking about that. I don't know why. It's just so good. Um I love it when I love the cakes with nana line. That's the best. That's probably my favorite improvised line. I don't know. It's hard to tell what's improvised and not. Yeah. Speaking of, God, the other just best slow burn romance part is the conversation about Blackbeard's Bar and Grill, a.k.a. Snake Snack. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's the peak of dialogue. It's, it's so good. It's the peak of dialogue. It's so good. And then, of course, I already mentioned, you wear fine things well. Mm. The peak of romance. There's there's many peaks in this show. Yeah. So it's, it just, God, it makes me so fucking happy. <laughs> it makes me so happy. I love the show. I love that it exists. And I love revisiting it. And I just love the way it makes me feel. It's a absolute delight. Mm-hmm. Um, this is like right up my alley. It's the type mm-hmm. of show that's only going to make me feel good, happy, positive emotions for the most part. At, yes. At the very least. Um, yeah. And I'm thrilled about it. I've been really wanting to watch something that's not Love Island and has a little bit more um, meat on the bones. Mm-hmm. So I'm yeah. really excited could, about this. I could not recommend it more. It's- yeah. Um, should we move into our overlap section? Yeah. What's our friend diagram? Our friend diagram. Um, well, I think one, one characteristic is obviously the wholesome nature of some of the characters, particularly Mm -hmm. our major snacks. Yeah. The series and 
from Watchmen. Um, obviously, Night Owl is very good. Um, yeah, I think... I guess I didn't communicate this as much in my description because I was so caught up in all of the the highlights, but there is definitely a range of like everyone on the sh- on the show Our Flag Means Death falls on some spectrum of good to bad in that mm-hmm. there are definitely villains that are um working against you know, the more wholesome people like Steve Bonnet, but even Steve, like he is involved in acts of violence, whether they're intentional or not. And so every single person on the show, because they are involved in piracy, they are (laughs) doing things that by modern standards would be, you know, definitely criminalized. And it's, um, it's interesting because you're on a pirate scale of violence. Mm-hmm. Like you have to be really overboard to be a really bad person. Yeah. And so it's um you're still operating completely in that that gray area mm-hmm. of, you know, whoever's doing the least amount of violence with the least <laughs> amount of bad intentions is the best, you know, yeah. most good character. But there's still yeah. They're still doing crimes the whole time. So <laughs> They're still it's doing great. crimes. <laughs> we love a crime here. We do. Uh not well, we love yeah. <laughs> I don't want to condemn crime actually. Um, crimes for love. <laughs> um, yeah. Like pretty nonviolent crimes would be okay. <laughs> Nonviolent crimes for love. <laughs> Unless you're a pirate, in which case violent crimes for love is fine. I have I have very little qualms about that. Um because most of you are probably not pirates. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Don't not don't yet. be violent. Don't I don't want to count me out. <laughs> I think we should all be pirates. Um how can we get a ship? We have to be rich. <laughs> mm. Or we steal one. Can you think of any other overlaps? Um, so right now we've got wholesome characters and also characters obviously falling in a gray area of like traditional concepts of bad and good. Um, mm-hmm. And definitely dealing with past trauma. It's... If I'm oh yeah. Interpreting what you were saying correctly. Yeah. Um, There's definitely a that, lot of uh, trauma-based processing that I feel like is going on. Yeah, and for such a, a comedy-based series, our flag means death. Definitely gives you, you know, people's main people's backstories in terms of mm-hmm. violence that they've witnessed or been a part of and how that has informed them as as adults and influences the way they the way they move through the world and do things so yeah i liked that that wasn't ignored and um 
yeah, processing trauma is a, a recurring theme yeah. in the show. Towards the end of the season, Steed kind of makes a decision where he has to go back and fix some mistakes he's made um, with his family before mm-hmm. he can move forward with with his life in in piracy. And I think that was it was um, uh, something I really liked in the larger context of the show in that he had that lingering guilt about the decision he made to leave his family and sort of um, kind of understood that he needed to absolve that guilt and make things right before he could really truly embrace his new life yeah and sort of shed that baggage and Mm -hmm. I think that um instead of just repressing and running that type of running from that type of guilt and actually dealing with it directly before you move on is is an important um approach to think about yeah definitely I'm so excited about watching that show (laughs) I would love it if you watched it I'm gonna do it then I can send you I'll send you all my favorite YouTube compilations afterwards, after you've seen it all. There's so many. The my YouTube compilations of what? Of just, you know, parts of the show. Oh, <laughs> just so you can relive the magic. Yeah, I love it's it. great. It's great. It's just a great little boost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. There's, so there's some great ones that are like the best dialogue, or um, oh, there's a lot of great ones that are just like, our flag means death, but Ed threw the context overboard or <laughs> stuff like that. I love it. I'm so excited. Um, Watchmen is streaming on Hulu. The series is streaming on HBO. The movie is streaming on Hulu. Our flag means death is streaming on HBO Max. Thanks for joining us this week on Friend Diagram. Thank you to Tyler Seek for the creation of our intro and outro music. Did you take any of our recommendations? Have any thoughts on the show? Let us know at frienddiagrampod at gmail.com and we might read your email on a future episode. If you can, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app of choice and we'll see you back here same place next week. Bye for now.